This is the Motley Fool Money Mailbag. Welcome to Motley Fool Money, our very special Sunday mailbag edition. I'm Scott Phillips from The Motley Fool. He is the man who, well, I'm curious as to whether in the new month, the last month of summer, he's changed his pre-podcast Sunday morning training regime. I'll have to ask him. Andrew Page, good day. <laughs> are you going? Um, very well. No, I'm. 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 You know, I'm still ultra marathon training. Everything is. That right? is yeah, you know it. No, Ice baths, the work. No time the to works. change. Just got to got to keep pushing through. Hey, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you do. A maybe course. maybe maybe a few breakfast beers <laughs> along the way just to keep keep things balanced. <laughs> I was only thinking the other day. I don't even know what in what context. And I didn't have one for the record, but I was thinking about the old Bloody Mary. I can't remember the last time I had a Bloody Mary. You know, the old, oh, the old tomato juice vodka morning, morning drink. Yeah, Worcestershire sauce in there as well. Yeah, that's bit of right. pepper on top. Celery yeah, a bit stick. of celery. Exactly, exactly. Oh, yeah. 100%. <laughs> I've done one of those in a million years. Oh, yeah. You Do go. yourself a favor. Yeah. <laughs> now or at some other point during the day? I, and there's, no, there's never a bad time. There you there's go. There's never a bad time. Officially, yeah. that's right. So, it's so five o'clock good, somewhere. <laughs> good news is, mate, you get to set your uh, work alcohol policy. I have other things to abide by. So I may <laughs> I may have to choose my time differently than uh, than you have to. Um, I'm not sure. Some, if, if we're recording a podcast, that make it work hours? Probably does, I suppose. Do you know what I was? I, um, not long ago, I, I binge watched a bit of Mad Men, and <laughs> it was a different era, right? And it's yeah. like they're always like every yeah. office has like a drinks cart in it, and it's just like there's something about it. It's just like <laughs> I feel like an old fashioned, you know. It's like, I know yeah. it's eleven o'clock in the morning, but it's, you know, I'm a bit partial uh, to neat whiskey these days. I have to say too. Mm. We we really are advocating for alcoholism here, and which is probably not appropriate for a finance podcast. Or so a, drink or responsibly. Let's put right. that in there. And, yeah. <laughs> Kids don't drink. It's it's bad. Don't don't do that. It's bad. All right, uh, mate. Here's one from Brando. Let's kick it off. He says, "Hi, Scott and Andrew. One for the pod machine." I don't make them say this, Andrew. That's what they say. That's what they choose to okay, say. Okay, that's, that's what the kids are saying. Two years ago, he says, "I bought a diversified growth ETF." He says it was the Vanguard Diversified Growth Index ETF, or VDGR, as my first foray into investing. I've realized this ETF isn't right for me in my early 30s, as it has a weighting of 20 to 30% towards the bond market, rather than a focus on growth equities. We've talked about that before. Brando says, I'm keen to sell and reallocate my money towards another ETF. However, the price is slightly down on what I bought it for. While the equities in the ETF have gone up by 10% or more since purchasing, the bond index has gone down by around 10 to 20% over the same time. Given the relationship between interest rates and bond prices, would it make sense to hold and wait until interest rates come back down before selling? If I individually held a bond right now, I probably wouldn't be telling it. Would this just be me trying to time the market or does it make sense to try and leverage market dynamics like this? Cheers, Brando. What do you say, mate? Mm. I mean, I get I get the sentiment. I really do. The, the thing you've got to remember is that there are... People who've, and this isn't a question of, I mean, you, you might have 20 years experience uh, as a bond trader, but you are up against people with just as much, if not more experience and resources and analysis and the rest of it. There is, there's very rarely free money lying around. So while there is, wherever there is um, what you might call an arbitrage opportunity, there's almost certainly someone there to exploit it. <laughs> yeah, almost certainly. Right. Yeah. So I would be, I would be, and I think, Though that's not the intention, I think it's unavoidable to think that there is a timing mm. element to it. You, you know, I hesitate a little bit because, as we've made made the mention of before, all investment 
is a speculation to some mm-hmm. degree. Yep, yep. It's just a question of what you're speculating on. But when you're talking about something that may or may not happen over the course of a year or two, I'd still say that that, that kind of puts you more towards the speculative end of, of that spectrum. Um, and so I don't know what the right answer is other than, you know, the, the whole world expected a recession last year. Yeah. It didn't happen. Funny that. And it might happen now, but my, my point is, is that, you know, it's, these are the crazy thing about markets is, is that you can have weird situations where it's universally sort of predicted and then it doesn't happen. Or if it mm-hmm. does happen, it's already been priced in. So it's, it's these, this is the nature of these things. So it, it is a, I, I get, I get the quandary. Um, I'm just sort of all over the place because I have no easy answer for you that isn't going to reveal my personal speculative outlook on on that part of the economy, mm. which is which is almost certainly wrong. Well, That's the hard give, part. Give, give a better answer than I just gave. No, mate, I, I pretty terrible. <laughs> I wish I can't. That that's. I mean, that is the the very point. Is the chances of well. <laughs> Here's here's the other thing. When we ever talk about these things, we say here's a, here's an idea, here's an approach, here's something. The, res, the the future result will be somewhere between great, terrible, or somewhere in between. Yep. And so when we say I would do this, and it goes the other way, you go, see, I told you. Um, you can have a loaded coin that that flips heads eighty percent of the time, and you should bet on heads, but it's still going to come up tails sometimes. So. Andrew, your point is absolutely valid and 100% spot on. Doesn't mean it'll necessarily happen, Brando. So what happens between now and the end of the year, for example? Very, very different. A couple of things to add. Firstly, opportunity cost. Um, If you wait for the bond market to recover while the equities market flies, you're missing out on the opportunity that you might have been able to invest and what you were able to invest in. Um, Secondly, you're down a bit. Um, you need to put that out of your mind. You need to not focus or anchor on past prices. The question is, I've got $100 now invested in this asset. I can liquidate it tomorrow for cash. If I did, where would I put it? And what's the what's the best long-term return? Or put another way, if I made you sell it today, I gave you back the money, Brando. I said, okay, here's your 100 bucks back. What are you going to buy now? Would you say, I'm going to buy this ETF because the bond market might recover? If you are, that's a perfectly okay approach to take. Or if you'd say, well, I've got the cash. I'm going to invest in the new thing because I'd like that more. Then again, that probably gives you part of the answer. Um, mate, let's go to a question um, from Itamar, uh, who actually, no, uh, I think we might have answered that one already. Let's go to a question from Connor, who says, Morning, Scott, and Ramrod, he calls you, which is <laughs> different. Scott, I, like you, I am getting old. So old that I started investing 25 years ago when VHS existed and ETFs didn't. That's a a very true, honest, and very, very scary comment, Connor, but you're absolutely right. Connor says, I built up a solid portfolio of classic Aussie shares, banks, Telstra, miners, etc. Dividends have been set for reinvestment over this time, and some companies are now yielding double digits based on my initial cost price. This yield will be used to allow me to work less, leading to retirement until I can access super. So far, it sounds like a bragging email, Connor, but I'm, I assume there's a question coming. This, uh, <laughs> However, I am worried that I am far from diversified. In recent years, I've invested in broad-based ETFs. However, my individual stocks from when I was young still make up the bulk of my portfolio. In fact, banks are 30%. And he gives us the grimace emoji. Uh, thinking there would be quite a few old timers in this situation. At what stage should one start selling down individual stocks and sacrificing epic yield for retirement to further diversify in ETFs. Honestly, I am torn. 
Keep up the great content on the, yeah, he says it, Ram, pod machine, <laughs> Connor. Uh, Connor, that's a really great question, Matt. I'll, I'll take the first swing, swing in this one. You can you can jump in after me and uh, yep. improve what I what I do badly. Um, Connor, a couple of things. Firstly, ignore the uh, initial yield percentage. It's irrelevant, 100% irrelevant. You had 100 bucks, it's now worth 1,000 bucks. You've got 10 times your money, well done. Uh, your yield, which was 2% at purchase, might be 20% now. Again, well done. The simple reality, though, is you're getting... Uh, 200 bucks worth of income from a thousand bucks worth, sorry, 20 bucks worth of income from a thousand bucks worth of shares. The only question then is where do you invest that thousand dollars to get either the most return, the highest yield, or both? So the initial trailing yield does not matter a Zach, with one slight exception, which is if you sell, you'll have to pay capital gains tax and then reinvest what's left after that tax is owed into the market. Now, if you're going to, I'm going to make my numbers easy. Your thousand bucks, you save your thousand bucks, you pay 200 bucks worth of capital gains, tax actually 800 bucks left, and you've got to reinvest that and get a return. So you are giving up the potential for dollar yield if you have to pay tax and reinvest it in either the same or something different. So keep that absolutely in mind. Um, in terms of in terms of uh, concentration, mate, uh, those two comments probably are the, the most important ones in my mind. I... Can't tell you what you should do. I can tell you CBA is riding really high right now. So there's, there's something to that. If you want to think about how to, uh, you know, think about prices and, and opportunities and risks and that kind of stuff. Uh, in fact, this this uh, email was about a month old. So I'm pretty sure CBA is up more since you sent it, Connor. Um, I wouldn't want 30% of my portfolio in banks. Um, I don't hate the banks. Um, I'm fine with them. I think they're okay. I don't expect them to do particularly well. Now, that said... You are not looking for capital growth from here. You're looking for income and you'll go a long way to try and find better yielding stocks in the banks. So I get why they're attractive. In your circumstance, I wouldn't go to zero. Uh, I don't earn any personally because I'm not just looking for yield. I don't think the banks will beat the market over the next 10 years. But I also you know, know that it's not going to be about that for you. It's going to be about the yield you can get. So your, your goalposts change slightly when you're at a certain point in life. Uh, I So ignore, ignore your, your, your um, trailing yield from that purchase price. Uh, diversification matters. I'd, I can't tell you what you should do, mate. I, I think if I if I inherited a portfolio of thirty percent banks, I'd sell most of them. Uh, and if I was looking for income, I might get down to fifteen, ten percent, probably. In all honesty, um, there are plenty of great yielders out there, uh, and I think it's a question of looking around and rather than say how much bank should I own, and I think that's reasonable, by the way. Look at the alternatives and say, actually, if I change this for this, what would I give up to do so, and what would I gain? Uh, I think you'll gain uh, some diversification, which is important. If you buy a high yield, higher yielding quality company, chances are even if you give up a bit of yield today, in five or 10 years time, the yield growth may well have paid for that reduction. In other words, um, you know, if you can get a company increase a dividend 10% a year, as opposed to Telstra, which hasn't increased a dividend at all, you can start from a lower level and end up with more in 10 years' time as a, as a yield than you will get on Telstra if you bought them today, for example. So you are absolutely, you know, you're an investor, so you know about putting off consumption, deferring consumption for later. Uh, deferring yield for later also could pay back uh, some some cash. Um, whether it's ETFs you want to do or not, it's an open question, mate. I Be careful of ETFs that are trying to be too clever by half. We've talked about those before, so hopefully you heard that episode. Um, also be careful of index ETFs that have 30% banks anyway. If, you, if your portfolio is 30% banks and you sell them and you buy an ETF that tracks the ASX 200, 
you're probably getting 30% in banks back again. <laughs> so at some at some level, um, now you're selling 100% banks to buy a 30% banking exposure. So you are reducing your exposure overall. But if those other ETFs, by the way, you have banks, you're not just 30% banks, you might be 40 or 50% banks, depending on how much of those ETFs you own. So just be just be mindful of what exposure they have uh, and what combination of um, of equities you're, you're exposed to. Um, ETFs can be great. Um, just be mindful of what you're getting, what you're investing in, what you're getting for the money. You can you can diversify yourself internally if you choose to with individual shares. I've said before, I, I don't like this. It's not a plug at all. Uh, we have a service called Everlasting Income. We've picked 19 companies that we think are diversified and produce some really nice retirement income. Uh, one of those is a bank from memory. It's about 5-ish percent of the portfolio, something like that. Um, and we found out there's plenty of others that can do the job. So if you want to do ETFs, go for it. Um, just be careful that if you buy an income ETF or even a broad ETF, you're probably getting massive exposure to the banks anyway. Don't just swap one, one exposure for another exposure if that's what you're looking to avoid. Ram? Yeah. I mean, especially given the tax hit that you'll take. Yes. Yeah. Um, that, that, I, that does stay a lot of people's hands. And that's actually not been a terrible thing, really, because if it mm. forces you to sort of stick with things and, you know, as, as Buffett always says, don't interrupt compounding, right? Or is it Munger? One of the two. Munger, um, I think, yeah. Yeah. So so I, I do get that. Uh, I would – well, you know my view on the banks. I think <laughs> – I think I, not only are the, – the banks are all identical, I would mm. argue. I mean, people will argue against that, but they're, mm-hmm. they're very similar – in 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 their exposure, in their exposure, that, yeah, the downside risks are the same or similar. Yep. Sorry, yeah. the downside yeah. risk they're all co- yep. they're highly highly correlated, and the risk is you're kind of betting on Australian residential property, which has been a great bet by the way. So um, I'll, I'll I'll acknowledge that, but you want to hope it's a good bet going forward because anything sort of wobbles there, um, you, it's it's going to be a lot of pain for the banks. Now, someone will point it out, so I'll I'll point it out for them. Um, Whenever this has come up, I've I've you know um, been very negative on it all. The end of last year, I'm sure we were talking about it. CBA was ninety eight dollars, and it's up twenty percent since then. Right, so yeah, yeah. I I acknowledge that. Um, the The broader point is though, I don't I don't think anyone who sort of uses short term movements to prove a point is is it's spurious. It's disingenuous. Yeah. I, yeah. I could have. I could have said, you know, in the start of twenty twenty two, don't do it. Right. Exactly. You know what? CBA <laughs> went from one hundred and five down to eighty five. Yeah. It was yeah. a new twenty percent fall. Right. Yeah. They, so it doesn't prove anything. Mm-hmm. The, the 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 I just I think the the I don't want to repeat what you said. Only other than we have a we have a set of companies that have. Well, over a very long period of time, delivered exceptional returns. Although mm. I'll make the point again, the last five years have been terrible, underperforming returns, even yep. with dividends included. Yep. Um, but I, I, I do want to just make the point, not about trying to predict the future, but mm. that has been a point of just an absolute perfect setup for these for these entities in the sense that we've had just a massive, massive boom in property our mining booms along the way. Australia as a country has done very well. Banks and have done really well throughout that period. We forget how cyclical they are as entities. Look at the US, look at Europe, look at other places. We just haven't had a recession since the early 90s, right? So, so it's very natural for people who have been investing for 30 years to go, how can you possibly call this a risky investment? Look, it's, we've had all mm. kinds of sort of wobbles and trouble, including the GFC. Uh, and our banks were very well 
capitalized relatively, but still had to do big capital raisings. But you know, the point the point being is that it you just don't want to be the turkey who's like a week out from Thanksgiving saying that the farmer's a really great great guy. Um, maybe yeah, everything's been <laughs> maybe. fine. Just extrapolate because what could possibly go wrong? Yeah, yeah, and yeah. and that's not to say again. I've got to be careful here because mm-hmm. people hear what they want to hear. It's not to say that something is definitely going wrong. Get the hell out. Mm-hmm. But if if something goes wrong, and you can make your own judgment on that, and I'm not even talking about the end of the world. I'm just talking about things cool off. We were talking on Friday about you know, proposed changes to negative gearing and mm-hmm. whatever. You know, Trump in power and escalating war in the Middle East. I don't know. No one knows, right? Even but just, anything even just a could flat happen. Period of no growth in house prices. Yeah. Yep. You know, debt is the bank's inventory. If you can't yep. if you can't give it get issue more of it, then you can't grow. If you can't grow, you go be hard to, to see the share price go higher. If your costs yep. go up and you can't boost your revenues, there's every chance you call you your uh, your profits fall. I wouldn't have 30, and this is not just bank bashing. I wouldn't have 30% in retail. I wouldn't have 30% in gold miners or you know, it just I I feel as though it's just a, a huge amount of concentration, which is the point you made. So, so I won't repeat it. And I do understand the tax hit. I do, I do really get that because it can be potentially um, pretty painful. And and you know, you might sell a hundred dollars worth of shares, and then whatever you put that into might need to go up fifteen percent just to make you whole to account for the tax, depending on what what the numbers are. So, I, I definitely, definitely get that. But you do have to contrast that hit with a potential hit if there was any wobbles and 30% of your portfolio drops mm-hmm. 50%. That, that can also be pretty painful. And all of a sudden, that potential tax bill looks pretty modest in hindsight. Yeah, I think that's right. Uh, mate, let's uh, go to a great question from Daniel who says, uh, Dear Scott and Andrew, wishing you and the team all the best for 2024. Thank you, mate. In your last Marbag episode of 2023, I enjoyed your discussion about Prometicus and the emotion of the fear of missing out or FOMO when you sell a stock and it continues to rise after you have sold it. What are the pros and cons, asked Daniel, of setting either an alert or a trailing stop loss, say 15 to 20% below the current share price? Thanks, Daniel. Mm. What say you, sir? I hate stop losses. I hate them with a passion. I know I'm out on an island with this. Everyone loves is it, is them. That, that's the con or the pro? Or this, okay, that's the con. I see. It, I, I just, it's, <laughs> it's marketed as this... You know, get to have your cake and eat it too. <laughs> Just set a stop loss, set a trailing. Yeah. So for those that don't know, a, a stop loss is an automatic sell order that is triggered when shares fall below a certain point. Um, a trailing stop loss is one that you might set a certain distance away, either mm-hmm. in dollar terms or percentage terms, which as it kind of like a ratchet, as the share price goes up, your trailing stop follows behind it, yeah. uh, say 10% behind it. And, and it feels really safe because it means you get all the upside but if there's any sort of big sudden downward movement you Mm. get to sell out Mm. automatically um so here's the problem with that there's there's two problems with it one sometimes things have big gut-wrenching plunges for no good reason and they reverse very quickly yep and all of a sudden you've sold out you've locked in a a potential capital gain and you might be forced to buy back in at at a higher price when the dust settles and you realize oh that was just Volatility. Hey, guess what? That's what shares do. Um, so I so I don't like it for that. Brokers love it because it's extra commission, right? And it makes you feel nice, and it's an extra product to sell, and and the rest of it. But you know, they they don't. I don't think they have your best long. T- they are not the kind of people who advocate for you know sticking <laughs> under the mattress. I, I'll, right. I'll just say that much. Yeah. So I, re- I really don't like them. The other thing that people often forget is it's not guaranteed. 
Prices don't. If yeah. if we were CBA, we just That's said right. is what $115. Right. Yeah. It could open at $60 tomorrow with zero trades between those two points. Mm-hmm. It just gaps down. The market closes. We we hear that there's been nuclear war in the northern hemisphere. The market opens tomorrow. I assume, um, bad example, <laughs> yeah. but you know, you, you and you've got oh, but I had a I had a stop loss at a hundred bucks. Like, no, you, well, you did, but there was no there was no bid on the other side of your offer to accept it. In which case, you've you'll be forced to sell it at the at the much lower price. So, I. I always think if you need to sell, you can sell. But I want to. I want to sell when I've had time to consider what's happened. Has there something fundamentally changed, or is this a bit of a wobble because an Icelandic volcano blew up and and diverted some air traffic for a week or two? You know, like that 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 thing happened, and that caused panic in markets, and it was just like zero impact. Most people won't even remember that incident. And there'll be something that happens this year. Multiple things that probably happen this year that will cause very high quality stocks to have these gut wrenching pullbacks. Yeah. Look at COVID, right? We saw the biggest crash in a long time that pretty much had resolved itself, you know, within a year. Yeah, that's right. It was like a three-month fall <laughs> and it was like, and, yeah. and, and, yeah. And, and, and you might say to yourself, ah, oh, but it's okay, I'll buy back. <laughs> no, you won't. Um, the thing is, so, if you're going to anyway, then you don't need to stop loss. It, it, it's, it's, it's- Manually sell. Yeah, yeah. It, it's, it's kind of crazy. By the way, I just checked numbers. Prometicus fell uh, 10%. Uh, in October 23 to, yeah, late October 23. Um, now, if you set a top of 15, 20%, you wouldn't have sold out. That's fine. Um, the thing is that you, none, Anna and I are very, 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 very firm believers. I, I feel very confident to speak on your behalf here, mate, in looking mm-hmm. at the business, not the share price. Yeah. So if the share price falls 20% for no good reason, you wouldn't sell. If the share price falls 20% for good reason, then you would sell. You don't need a stop loss to do either of those things for you. In fact, no. Uh, it, it removes the impetus to actually analyze the business and understand what's going on. Uh, yeah. Moreover, uh, I don't know what, I'm trying to find numbers here. What was that? That's 68, 60. Um, you know, the price fell 10% from 68 to $60 in February last year, uh, then fell from 70, 89 to 75 uh, in October. Uh, early this year, went from 93 to 89. Uh, the, the, the 95, sorry, All 96 to All the time. Right. All and, the time. But my point is also it's that normal. it went higher and higher and higher after that. Now, at what point yep. would you have wanted to be automatically stopped out of that? Now, you say, you say 20, well, I didn't fall 20% at the end to sell it. That's fine. But at some point, I'm not, by the way, I'm not a shareholder of Prometicus. I'm not even particularly a particular fan uh, of the of the investment. Um, the company's done amazingly well, but I think at 150 times earnings, it's stupid. Um, it's that's pretty, just my, my view. So, so be what you, do what you want with that. Um, by the way, the share price went from, th- in 2019, from $36 to $19. Effectively halved, right? You would have been stopped out at 19 bucks. So the other thing is you're selling low, right? So you, let's, let's say it's a, stopped out before that. Let's, let's be generous. Went from 36, you got stopped out at 25. Okay, mm-hmm. it's great. I, I missed out. I didn't lose the extra six dollars. I'm a genius. Then I went from twenty five dollars. Now it's one hundred and one dollars. The cost mm-hmm. of being stopped out was four times your money to avoid the possibility it might fall a little bit further. And a so, tax obligation along the yeah, way. That's true. Until it's a brokerage. Um, yeah, I, I get it, Daniel. I really, really get it. It, it seems smart. Brokers sell it. Um, I, I get why you'd think it might be worth doing. I'm not even sure that it, sometimes it'll work out. By the way, that's the other thing. Yeah, sometimes yeah. they absolutely work sometimes out Sometimes they're you. great. Yeah. yeah. Um, but we don't don't interrupt compounding unnecessarily, as Andrew says. Um, if you've bought the right company, you like its future, you like its price, why would you want to be forced out automatically? And if you don't like those things, don't buy it or sell manually. It, it, it's a, 
it's it's sold as a as a convenient tool by brokers who want you to trade. Yep. Mate, um, question from a couple of questions. Was there a from, second two parts to that question? I feel as no, though you might have missed. That was it. Oh, that was it. Okay. What are the pros and cons? We, we, we didn't do many of the pros. Uh, the pros okay. are sometimes it works. The cons are more often than not it doesn't. Oh, well, I'll give one pro. The, the, I think I, I am a fan of things that rem, remove the opportunity to rationalize. Because while mm. I, I'm going to talk out of both sides of my mouth here, I said, well, you know, you can, you can sell if you want to. Like if something has changed, well, I can manually just choose to sell. But you might think, well, maybe I'll buy more. It won't look as bad. Rah, 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 it's not. You, you, will, you will do all kinds of things to preserve your ego. And that's the good thing about these automated orders. Like, well, I said I would and I would and I've done it. But I, I, I feel as though um, uh, more often than not, it protects you from significant capital gains is what it protects you from. Because when you when you look at even the best performing, like a Prometicus, or you pick pick the superstar stock, 10% falls are normal, 20% falls are not that, un- that uncommon. Honestly, they are not. And yeah, you'll regret it. Agreed. Here's a, a couple of questions from an anonymous listener who doesn't give me that. As I said many, many times, the benefit of emailing rather than uh, sending me a message on, on social media is occasionally I'll forget and say someone's name. Uh, our member services fools are very, very good at this, so they never actually include your name on it. So not only is it anonymous to our listeners, it's anonymous to me, which is probably the safest place to be. Anonymous says, hi, Scott and Ram Andrew Page. They're putting Andrew second and Ram first. There's a deep <laughs> poll opportunity there for you, Ram. Uh, happy yeah. New Year. I'm a new listener from 2023 and a first time question asker i would like to congratulate you all for making my top podcast for 2023 the pod machine i'm just saying that's what that's what our question said the pod machine has powered my morning dog walks (laughs) kid drop off and my evenings as i aim to finish the whole episode and look forward to hearing all the rants and the thoughts from both of you please don't change anything one of them others obviously your pod has (laughs) been my single source of encouragement that has kept me anchored in my journey in 2023 to continue on my path towards financial independence. I'm nearly reaching 40 in June. Oh, happy 40th birthday coming up soon. And yes, I hate you because you're younger than me. Married with one kid. And here's, here's, listen to this, mate. About to hit $1 million in the next year, hopefully, with invested well stocks, primarily ETFs and single blue chip Australian US companies. With 80, 20, uh, 80% Australia and 20% USA. I'm fortunate to be a high income earner by heavily investing into myself with education, learning new skills and putting my hand up for critical po- projects that could make my ASX listed company propel forward. I'm going to assume they possibly work for propel funerals. It may why they might be anonymous or it might have just been a coincidence. I'm not entirely <laughs> sure. There's a, there's a little smiley after propel forward, so we'll see. I had no inheritance and came as a student 15 years ago. That's a really, really cool success story. Sharing the numbers only as a way uh, to share my journey to encourage listeners that it is possible to achieve passive income and to reinforce the difference podcasts like yourselves make to dispel the myths of investing and make a massive difference towards attitudes uh, towards stocks. I sleep perfectly fine with this amount invested, says our, our correspondent. My journey into stocks only started in 2019 during the COVID crash and in the midst of all the job cuts and fears. It was evidently clear to me that investing in myself via education and into the stock market was the only way to secure my future. I know you cannot give financial advice, but I wanted to get your thoughts on the below. One, I'm expecting this. I'm expecting around forty to forty-five thousand dollars in dividend income next year from Australian shares. 
Is it prudent to consider reallocating income from those dividends to more exposure in the US? In brackets, S&P 500 and NASDAQ. Given the recent rally, I'm considering holding back as the S&P 500 has been on a big ride. What do you think, mate? Use some of that dividend income to diversify or stick with what's already happening? Well, I'll stay more general. I, I, I do... I d- look, if you don't, if you're 40 and you don't need the income, which it doesn't seem like you do, then reinvesting is definitely the way to go. Definitely. Um, I tend to avoid dividend reinvestment plans. There's a lot of benefit mm. to them, again, because it's an automatic thing and just mm. helps things compound away. So there's a big benefit to it there. But I do like taking that income and using that to allocate to areas that might need a bit of bulking up in my portfolio. Mm. Something's up, something's down. When the, when the dividend check hits, it might be that, well, is it the company that paid it the best value opportunity right now? It might not yeah. be. So it gives you a wonderful opportunity to, to diversify. So I definitely like it. As to whether that should be in the US or not, I, I, don't, I don't know. <laughs> um, I, I have an opinion that, that things are elevated there to some extent, particularly amongst the Magnificent Seven, mm. so-called. A um, lot of expectation priced in there. Um, maybe justifiable. I don't know. I don't. I don't. I don't. I don't know. I don't want to. I don't want to go down that that path. But yeah, I definitely. Yeah, yeah. I definitely encourage you to reinvest it. Um, the, here's the other thing, right? When 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 things have gone up, I think. Let me let me start again. I think people are right, and the the listener here is definitely right. So they got interested during COVID when things were falling, and everyone <laughs> yeah. was scared. They got yeah, interested. Great time, right? Hey? Yeah. Good yeah. instincts. Yep. Great instincts. Likewise, they're saying, well, now things have rallied quite a bit. I'm a little mm. bit nervous. Now, again, most people, things go up. Now I'm interested. Things go down. I'm getting the hell out. <laughs> so, right. so your instincts are 100% right, 100% yeah. right. Yeah. However, however, what, and I speak from bitter experience, <laughs> is that when you're wired that way, although it is an advantage in some ways, it can be a disadvantage because things, even if you say objectively things are overvalued, things can get a lot more overvalued. Yeah. And, and stay that way for a long time. Think about all the people jumping up and down about the imminent collapse of China, right? By the way, look what happened to Evergrande over the week. You know, that's been a slow-moving yeah, train wreck. Like, didn't, didn't even make the paper, right? Like, Which it, is it, such it, a lesson, by the way, mate, because the yeah. market lost its collective mind for about three weeks. Was it two yep. years ago, I think, this time two yep. years ago? Um, Might have been a bit more, actually. It was 2020 when they missed their first oh, wow. payment. There yeah. you go. Okay. It was, it was going to be the end of everything. It kind of now it is the Oh, I was of one of those people. And- I was like, yeah, oh, this right. is not good. Right. You know, maybe, it's maybe, not, and, it's- and maybe I'll eventually be. Here's the point, though. It doesn't matter who's right or wrong. Yeah. It, let, let's say that this is this is the canary in the coal mine. <laughs> uh, it, it, but the, the point is, is that things can stay irrational longer than you can remain solvent. Correct. So that is the challenging part. And then when the fall finally happens- mm-hmm. Um, it may end up falling 30%, but still at a level that was above where you would have bought anyway. Mm-hmm. So, so that, again, I'm, that's not, I'm not saying, therefore, just buy without any consideration towards the future or your expectation. I'm definitely not saying that. Mm. But I do know that a lot of money has been lost in anticipating the next bear market than in the actual bear market itself. I'm stealing that true. shamelessly from a very famous investor. I forget who, though. Correct. I think it was Morgan Housel who uh, who wrote those words. He thinks more okay. was lost in uh, in that in that process. Um, I think you, I think you're 100 right, mate. I think you're 100 right. It's uh, it's it's very much yes, a, a long way from the original question, 
and I don't want to kind of rehash what you said. Um, I would, as a matter of course, I have about half my money in the US, directly and indirectly, about half in Australia. Um, roughly, I have another numbers recently. By the way, don't fix that in your portfolio. Like, fix that in the companies you're buying and, and whether their futures are great. I, the reason, I, I've said it before, I, I couldn't name my top five shareholdings in order. I, I could name the top two. I could probably get close to the, I might get, I might name four of the five. I was lucky in order for the last two, probably not. Um, some people think that's horribly horrible. Yeah, I was talking, well, you're, you're, investor, you're an investor, you're supposed to know these things. Really? You want me to memorize that stuff? Would you rather that than me actually analyze companies and think about implications? And anyway, I don't know. Uh, mm-hmm. So roughly half, give or take. It might be 10% either side, quite honestly, right now. Between movements in share prices and currencies, I just don't know. Uh, so, But I do think that having more invested in the US over time is, is a better strategy for everybody. We can't give you personal advice, anonymous, and we don't know who you are, so that's easy. We can't give you personal advice. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I don't. I don't know what happens next. Uh, I'm slightly less worried about the Magnificent Seven than you are, Ram. Um, we saw Microsoft's cloud. I don't own shares in Microsoft, so it's easy. I do own NASDAQ 100 ETF, so I, I indirectly own shares, I suppose. Um, their cloud business grew at 30%. <laughs> this is <laughs> Microsoft for a while, two weeks ago, was the most valuable company in the US. Um, yep. I think in the world, although Saudi Aramco may be bigger. In any case, close enough. They're bigger than Apple for a while. And yet they grew their cloud business at 30%. The biggest company in the world. Now, not the whole business wow. by thirty percent, but you know, the the I, I am I'm reasonably convicted that the tech journey, the cloud journey, is just getting started. Right? I mean, I say just it's twenty years in, but I think there's lots more to go. So, I'm less worried about the. I'm not saying they can't fall or they won't be volatile. Those things are almost certain to happen at some point. Uh, but I'm not too worried about the Magnificent Seven as a group. I, I expect in 10, 15, 20 years time, the Nasdaq will do very, very well. The S and P five hundred will do very, very well, and even if it's no better than the ASX, at least having that diversification is just smarter than not. If I thought it was going to underperform dramatically, I might choose something different, maybe. Uh, but I would do more of that. Uh, mate, here's the second question, which is interesting. Ram mentioned recently, he thinks the index returns will plateau in 2024. And single companies, individual companies, could outperform the index. And the question is, maybe I've interpreted it incorrectly. In response to a historical mean reversion to a PE of about 15. Many also consider small caps could have a good year. I have a core and satellite portfolio. Australia is core, US is satellite. But I struggle a lot with finding time with a growing family to do the research Ram suggests. I was wondering if a mid-cap ETF could benefit along with an S&P 500 or some USA stocks added as my satellite. It may sound like I'm asking for a shortcut and not willing to put in the effort. If Strawman or Motley Fool could offer me something where I could invest my dollars, I'd be very happy to pay for it. <laughs> this is our anonymous questioner. Uh, good to know. We'll put that in the memory banks. In the meantime, though, mate, uh, what do you reckon? Mid-cap ETF is a way to kind of get exposure to maybe some smaller companies that our questioner doesn't currently own? Yeah. I, I just First, I'll clarify that 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 outlook. I, if I have done this in the past, I apologize. I certainly would haven't intended to. Aside from a bit of fun... Uh, yeah speculation <laughs> i i have I, I would never put out a forecast for a yeah. given year yeah um because i'm just going to like cover my butt because i'm not a, i'm not a masochist <laughs> that's right right like i'm not and and also I've, I've i think i've got enough humility to know that it's just a mugs game i can't do it i think the comment was in relation we've had the discussion before that i think over the next decade we might lag the um yeah the historical return. So the, the market has been about 10% per annum mm-hmm. uh, over the long term with dividends included. 
Some studies will suggest it's nine. Some will suggest it's eleven. Depends how depends you, when you start. Mass, exactly. About, yeah. You know, yeah. When you start. Rah rah rah. But it's it's about that. And I think it'll be positive, and I think it'll probably likely be the best performing asset class. But um, I do think whenever you have a period of excess returns, mm-hmm. which we really had there for a while, mm-hmm. there is a re- mean reversion quality to it. There's not a, I'm not a, a believer in that as a universal law that shall never be broken. Mm-hmm. But you know, we've had there, there even over, I don't know, there was a period in the 70s, which was a lost decade, Right, like I just went sideways for ten years, even though you've still got that very attractive long-term return. So it, it, it. Yeah, I, I just want to, I want to make that remark. So please don't at me if, if things don't go that way in 2024. <laughs> and I still think I'm, I'm fully invested, right? So yeah, right, you also so. got to take that, that point as well. It's sort of like there is the Tina um, angle here. There, there is no alternative. I just want to be in productive assets that are, that are very high quality, I guess, or, or a good good potential for very big outsized returns. So I'll make that comment. Um, I would steer away personally from the mid cap, small cap ETFs. Um, And the reason that I can say that, and at the same time at the other side of my mouth, say that I like that as a general Mm -hmm. area is that there is a lot of rubbish in that space. People are right when they say small caps are risky. Statistically speaking, they're right. Yes, that's right. I just make the point that there are dozens and dozens of examples where extraordinarily great companies in there as well. So don't- The average small cap is risky. It doesn't mean every small cap is risky. Absolutely. And it doesn't mean there's only a fringe of like, oh, this is the exception that proves the rule. There's there's a good number of them, I would argue. Mm -hmm. Um, But you tend to find in these indices, there's a lot of mining- you know, prospecting companies, a lot of biotech. There's a lot of very risky companies in there. So even if you get the the very high quality small cap companies, they they are weighted off against that. So it does. I think if you are gonna, unless someone can point me to a an ETF which provides some qualitative overlay and. Even then, you kind of get to the situation where I've got to trust in the analysis of the, the provider and the fees that are associated with that. I think if you are going to be a small cap investor, I'm sadly there is no shortcut. Yeah. Um, but that's 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 the good thing about it is because there is no shortcut. The only ones who get get to sort of really get the benefits are those who are prepared to do the work. Most people can't or won't aren't prepared to do the work, which means less competition, <laughs> which is why I like it. Um, yeah, but yeah, there's, I don't think that there's any easy answer other than don't be intimidated by the size of the, the mountain. We're dealing with this with our little girl at the moment, right? We've learned that if I say clean your room, it'll never get done. <laughs> it's too overwhelming. It's like, yeah. where do I even start? But if I say to her, uh, pack up the dollhouse, like okay, that's that's manageable. I can do that. And the and the example here is is one of saying, well, no one's saying put aside fifteen hours a week and mm-hmm. come up with a multivariate Excel function on all of the small caps <laughs> and how they, you know, what the sharp ratio is on some hypothetical portfolio and blah blah blah. Like just say, huh. Here's a company I never heard before. Uh, I don't know, random. Well, we mentioned Playside last week. You know, like mm-hmm. uh, they, they company you might not have heard of. Have a look at that. And maybe there's no rush. There's no no one set a timer on this thing, so you can get to it when you want to get to it. You can put as much time as you want to put to it, and 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 then you might get to the end. Where it's like no, I don't get it, or it's not interesting to me, and I'll move on. And but if you do find something that that is interesting in that space, well, then you can allocate three percent, two percent, one percent, whatever you, yeah. you want to it. So you can you can 
it does, it's not an all or nothing kind of phenomena. And you will find that that knowledge compounds. Once you've done the deep dive on a company, you know, things will change as the future unfolds, but you'll understand the business. You'll understand what makes it ticks. You'll have a good grasp of a lot of the risks that it faces and stuff. And, you know, you can, you can, it's, it's another bow in your quiver and, and it will be there to serve you when it needs to be served. It might even be that I like it, but not at this price. What, chuck it on a watch list and then something may change in the future. So mm. you, you can edge into it very slowly, but I don't think there's an easy solution that will just give you instant and quality exposure to that part of the market. I think it's a good point, mate. I, I'd simply just add that I don't think you need smaller mid caps as a passive investor, if you're not going to make the effort, don't want to make the effort. I don't mean that, but anyway, pejoratively, if it's like I just I don't want to, can't can't find the time. That's cool. I don't think you need to. If you if you're that sort of investor, then you kind of make. I don't think you need to make active calls. Ram to Ram's point, I, I don't think, mm. mate, you did say that 2024 was going to be a, a great year, or small caps were the, were the only way to do it, or whatever. We have talked about the fact that the ASX 200 is full of miners and banks that maybe don't have the world's best outlook over the long term, and so maybe. You know, individual stock picking, if you avoid those, is is beneficial to you. Um, that, that's very possibly true. But that's kind of when you start getting the stock picking territory and active investing. If you're not going to do that, because then you, here's the other thing. If, if, if let's, say, let's say we're right about that, and at some point that equalizes. Well, then, because you've made an investment in small caps because of for that reason, at some point when that stops being true, you then have to work out what to do with the small cap ETF. Do I sell it? Do I keep it? Do I buy more? And so you, you kind of throw yourself back into this really difficult situation not that's difficult to think about but if you want to be a passive investor every time you make an active call you oblige yourself to stay across that make a decision when to sell when to buy how to rebalance all that kind of stuff it's kind of not what passive investing is about so uh, i i agree with you mate i think if you want to there is a there is a small ordinaries etf uh, i own that one i actually think it's probably a mistake to have done so i haven't added it to it in ages i may end up selling it um i did it because i wanted to avoid exactly the same things our question was asking about and i don't know that I really benefited from it because the component parts of the small hoards are basically the same sorts of companies, which is your point, Ram, about you know the, the small caps are risky. There's a whole lot of small miners and small small financial institutions, and you know you, you kind of I'm, I'm back in the same pond, but 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 with smaller businesses. So uh, yeah. I, I if you want to if you want to broaden out, US is one option. You can look at a um, another. Uh, Vanguard uh, ETF for JAS ASX 300, which is not exactly small cap, but the, the extra 100 on top of the 200 adds some value or size to it. Uh, you can diversify more internationally and go with a, a global ETF, which gives you more, you know, if you want more exposure outside just the Australian large caps, there's a couple of ways to do it. I personally would probably go more US than Australian small cap. I'd probably go more global than Australian small cap, given the choice. But again, that's just me and, and my approach. Yep. There's no wrong moves here in this space. I mean, you've got it. You, yeah. you, well, well, no, no. Let me qualify yeah, that. that. <laughs> <laughs> there really are, but yeah, no, there are very wrong moves that you can make. Yeah, um, but but there's there's there is what might be right for me or for Scott or for you will be very different, and and that and that it, it's got to be appropriate to the time you've got, the interest you've got, the risk tolerance you've got, the time frame you've got. You know, all of these kinds of things. But this is the beauty of it. This is why some of the, the eternal truths are eternal truths. Yeah. Is right. that whether it's small cap, whether it's in this sector or that sector, it just comes back to good businesses at good prices held for a long period of time that can compound. Period. Full stop. Right. That's it. How do you want to how do you want yeah, to yeah, go yeah. about that? Yeah. Well, there's different ways. But as long as that's your North Star yeah. and you're and you're and you're you're actually moving in the direction of that North Star, mm -hmm. then you can't go too wrong. Yeah. You start at A, you end up somewhere between P and W, that's fine. 
If you, if you get yes. the Z because you're the best, because you're Warren Buffett, good luck to you. Um, yes. P and W are, are remarkably, remarkably comfortable retirements, right? You don't Absolutely. need to. You don't need to. You only get the absolute, you know, last squeeze of lemon out of it. Uh, enough yep. squeezes gives you more than enough lemon juice. I'll, I'll leave the analogies there. Do you know I've, what I've, 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 I've been thinking more and more about? The I kind of go, I flip and I flop. I go around right. in circles, but I, I'm. And that's just you dancing on the Saturday night. Yeah, exactly. That's, no, no one needs to see that. Um, it, I, I think that you only need to get that one or two investment that, that, that just changes everything. Yeah. And not because it's a moonshot and it goes from one cents to a million dollars, but like ProMedicus, right? The great example that, or you bought REA Group back in yeah, the day or yeah. car sales or CSL or something. It is, it is- a, a no strike game, as Buffett says, mm -hmm. right? So you, you get to just, you don't have to swing it at, mm -hmm. at everything. You get, and here's the point that I think is very hard for people to understand, is that you get to actually make loads of mistakes and still do very well. Yeah, you really right. do. I'm yeah, testament yeah. to that, believe you me. Yeah. Like you, you can make all kinds of dumb, stupid decisions, but it you make that one correct decision. I'm not, again, let me emphasize, it's not the- mm the biotech speculator that that <laughs> that cures cancer that no one could have accurately sort of predicted um you just have to have the nous to not lock in profits as they say along the way you want to be part of that journey at every single stage yeah. csl has looked expensive at every single point promaticus was crazy you know mm -hmm. and I'm, i i say i go around in circles because Push to its logical extreme, you do get to silly points. And hey, I'm out of Prometicus myself now, right? Because right, I just, I love the business. I, I, I'm like you, mate. I can't make sense of the business. So if that's not a strong buy signal, I don't, I don't know what it is. <laughs> exactly. Um, um, you heard it. Here so, so there are, there are, there are, there are exceptions. You just don't want to overthink it too much. Mm -hmm. And, and that's what's really yeah. great about, I think, with the small caps is because. Commonwealth Bank might be uh, go on a really great run, but it's never going to 10x mm. in a decade. Like it's just it's not possible for it to do. It's way too big. Some of these other companies, again, they've proven a commercial product or service, traction, profitable, dividend paying, strong balance sheet, quality aligned management, check, 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 check. They can 10x. Really, you know, I wouldn't say easily, but you'd mm. be surprised how many times that happens. They're the ones that you really want to look for. Challenge one, challenge two, holding onto the damn thing for, for long <laughs> enough to, to have that effect. And, and you can, I've used the um, Motley Fool founder, uh, David Gardner, mm. many times. He's got a horrible strike strike rate. Yes, yes. What is it? You, you'll tell me. Is it 40% he gets right? Something like that. It's, I think it's less than that. Less than uh, that? I don't actual numbers, but I think it's less than that, yeah. Oh, uh, his returns will make you weep. Like they're just insanely good. And it's like, well, how do you get it? Like, mm -hmm, let's mm -hmm. make up the numbers. It's like, Seven out of ten stocks you touch do not do well, mm. and your your returns are insane, and 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 that's why I, I really want to sort of say I think you want to be fussy in that space. You want to. I guess what I'm saying is it's worth the. It can be worth the effort. Yeah, totally. You know, it can yeah. be worth the effort. Yeah, it absolutely can. I think help help me start a business, right, and quit my job to do it, and mm -hmm. and you know it it. it I don't expect to pull a rabbit out of the hat all the time. <laughs> yeah. But again, you know, one or two things, gosh, it makes a difference. And 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 be uh, help that motivate you to find some extra time, if anything. 
I like it. I also mindful that just at partway through your answer, you did say what might be right for you may not. And I was hoping you were going to finish with may not be right for some. So well, we all sing. Well, don't there move we go. to the beat of just one drum. Yeah. <laughs> but at different strokes, if you don't know different strokes, ask your parents, kids. Um, that, I did in my head. That's best best theme out. song ever, by the way. Oh, best ever? Mm. Yeah. Better than the A-Team? Ooh. Yes. Yeah. Oh, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought it's I knew you, Andrew funky. Page. I thought I knew you. All right. Uh, <laughs> let's, uh, let's move away from TV themes because uh, it's still only early on a Sunday morning. Yeah, yeah retro 80s space. TV themes. Yeah, let's move on. <laughs> you know, kids think the old days is like 2000 these days, mate. Mm-hmm. That makes me feel very <laughs> depressed. <laughs> well, the old thing, we're closer to not 2050 than 1990. It's, uh, yep. it's, a, it's a thing. Motley Fool Money. For more, subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash listener. Damien says, hi, Scott and Ram. I've enjoyed listening to your show, the questions your listeners send in, the answers you provide, and the topics you cover each week. Thank you, mate. I've been investing since July 2021 in various ETFs and have found it to be a sound strategy. If you're starting out or don't have the time to look for companies that have a good business model and are likely to grow over time. Investing in ETFs has taught me to ride the waves and stick with regular buys throughout the past few years. I'm going to stop there, Damien. That is excellent. And listeners, if you are thinking about investing, that's how to do it. Can I add something quickly before you go on, though? And I I don't disagree with the sentiment at all. I'll I'll start with that. Mm -hmm. But it's three years. Yeah, that's true, too. You're you're basing that view on three years. There, There would be another starting point yeah, out right. there where someone did yeah, exactly yeah, the same yeah. thing and has gone, I've done this since 2021 and I've actually underperformed all these assets. It's actually been really bad. Well, starting in 2007 and then having the next three years of grinding horrible GFC to invest through. So you got you got to be careful to learn the right lesson. I, yeah. so not that the lesson is, by the way, broad-based low-cost indexes for a long mm-hmm. time is, 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 is a very sensible strategy for a lot of people. So I don't, I don't disagree with it, yeah. but I, I have seen the other side of it where – I've I've had friends actually not, not that long ago where I sort of said you know do this and they go well <laughs> thanks Mr pronouns. Genius I'm down <laughs> I'm down ten percent you know like well yeah, you're you're, yeah. you're extrapolating a very narrow period of time on that mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. yeah it's, I'm glad it's been a good three years but it, but even if it hadn't been I'd still say you would have done the right thing love it that's a very 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 good point thank you uh, Damien goes on Scott I recently purchased a subscription to your share advisor service off the back of a cunningly placed marketing ad for a New Year's special price for the service. Why did I do this? Luckily, Damien wasn't asking a rhetorical question. He goes on, because I'm keen to venture into investing in specific companies. Ram, sorry, mate. What is straw man again? <laughs> Private online investment club. Joking, he says, Australia's premier online investment. Oh, should have waited. I can't be giving Scott service all the airtime without also acknowledging yours. Anyway, to my question. What advice would you provide someone in my position if they want to venture into individual companies or stock picking, but their current portfolio is made up of ETFs? I currently hold a number of Vanguard Australian ETFs and the beta shares NASDAQ ETF. I can see two approaches. One, sell some of the existing ETFs and reinvest in specific companies. This would come down to risk tolerance and what percentage of my portfolio I prefer in ETFs versus specific companies. It also provides an opportunity to consolidate some of my ETF holdings. Or two, leave my current ETF positions where they are and buy specific companies going forward. This Mm -hmm. means I'm starting my individual company investment journey from scratch 
and would take some time to build up. Keen to hear your thoughts on the above or other approaches and any pros or cons that I should be considering. Full on, Damien. Great question, Damien. Thank you. What do you reckon, mate? Does he uh, pair back what he's got or does he start from where he is and add moving forward? No wrong answers again. I mean, you've <laughs> well, nailed yes, it, Damien. Not out of those two, though. Well, those two yeah, are both I mean, good answers. They're both, they're both good answers. <laughs> I mean, what are the pros and cons? Um, the con of having to sell is that there'll be tax obligations. Mm-hmm. Um, the con of buying or just only investing directly going forward is that, you know, um, you'll kick yourself if you've, <laughs> you've got 99% of your money in, in yeah. these ETFs. And the, and the one that you bought- <laughs> The first one you buy, yeah, exactly. Is the one that goes really, really, really well. money in that stock? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And that, you, you know, that'll send you mad. So you can't, yeah. you can't beat yourself up with that kind of stuff. Um, what would I do? I, I, you know, there is a middle path to, to sort of take a leaf out of the, the Buddhist playbook here. I, I, think, I think you can have a little bit of your cake and eat it too. It might be that it's just like, well, I'll sell down three or four or five percent and I will commit to only investing in, with fresh money in, in new companies. And I'll continue to do that until I hit a, a balance that's, that's right for me. So you, you, can, you can sort of have it a, a, a bit both ways. Um, I would also, I think my decision personally would be driven very much by the opportunity set as I saw it. So if, for example, we were sitting at a point in time where I just thought, this is shooting fish in a barrel type (laughs) environment. Like there is just incredible- For no good long-term reason. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Yep, great, great. Like, you know, wow, I can buy this business for this price. Like, okay, I will sell and I will very heavily go into directly into into that kind of business. If it's where I think, meh, I kind of want to stay invested because that's the smart thing to do. Um, but I really don't have anything that is compelling me. Well, then I would be more inclined to stay with the ETFs and then just dribble stuff in. So that, that, would, that would probably drive, I think, my personal decision. Can I be uh, similarly Buddhist? Sure. Uh, I wasn't thinking this until you talked about a third way and now I've gone very Zen. As a Buddhist Zen or if I just change religions? Uh, it's a, it's a, it's all related. I think it it's right? a, br- a branch. Yeah. Okay. Yes. All right. Well, let me let me be Zen Buddhist if that's not offending anybody. Um, I was going to say, I was going to say um, that if you're an ETF investor, you say with individual companies, you want to make mistakes with investing when you've got small amounts of money, not big amounts of money. If let, let me use a hypothetical of someone who's 65, has invested in ETFs all their life, they've got two million dollars to say, I'm gonna sell it on buy stocks. Like, oh no, I don't that's probably not a great yep. idea. Because yep. you, you're gonna make mistakes, Andrew and I already still do, right? Uh, but equally the ones we made earlier are probably bigger and and frankly with larger amounts of money would have been far more impactful than with small amounts of money when we started. So I wouldn't I, even if someone was desperately wanting to invest in individual companies, I'd be really reluctant to say sell the whole lot and go. So I, my, 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 aim was, my point was going to be just buy with, with new money because it's just a, a safer, easier way to make the start. I'm just going to, I'm going to amend that thought. I'm going to stick with it and amend it based on your third way, Ram, which is I would absolutely not sell any of your ETFs. I would start investing in individual companies with money, in new money, as, as we say. It's a weird phrase, but you know what I mean, just money we're adding yeah. to the portfolio over time and start building up that way. But here's where I would, this, this, is, where I, this is the third way bit, which is go forward a year or two. And then when you find yourself more comfortable, you find it more enjoyable, maybe hopefully you find you're good at it. By the way, if you find you're not good at it, that's not a problem. Don't, don't be put off. If you realize an individual thing you just suck at, that's cool. Just don't do it. Go back to ETFs. That's great. Right? There's no, you got to tr- check the ego at the door. Your job is to make money, not to be the master of the universe. So if you suck at investing, that's cool. Go back to ETFs. But if you find in a year or two, it's working for you, 
you're enjoying it, you feel like you're pretty good at it, you're learning some lessons, you're getting better, then you can slowly sell down some of your ETFs and add that to individual companies as you move forward. And as Ram says, when you see great ideas. So I think that's, that's the third way I would choose. I wouldn't hold ETFs forever and only invest new money in in companies, individual companies, nor would I sell everything or sell most of it or sell some of it and invest in new companies now because you've hopefully got a decent sized portfolio. And I just think, you know, it's safer to start with a thousand bucks and work up than if someone gives you a million dollars to so here's your inheritance, invest it now and hope to get it right off the bat. It's just a, it gets me you can't get it right. Just, it's just harder and and frankly, probably riskier. Um, you know, what do they say about, you know, if you, knowing, knowing a little bit is dangerous. Um, so just, just I, I proceed slowly. Uh, give yourself the option of selling down the ETFs if and when you feel comfortable enough to make that change. That's what I would do anyway, Ram. No, I like it. That's good. Good advice. Awesome. But here's the last question on ETFs and duplication. We get this one a little bit. It's a really good chance for us to kind of break it up a little bit. Hi, Scott and Andrew. I'm Sam, says Sam. Uh, I'd like to start by letting you know it's an absolute pleasure listening to you both rant on the pod machine. Twice a week. I swear to God, I'm not making this up. I'm one of the three that are still listening after an hour. Well, the good news is we've got in just before the hour break. So if you're about to leave, then you're you're still here. Don't stop ranting, says Sam. That's a dangerous, dangerous invitation. Mm. As a handful of us openly love it, whilst the others secretly do. Rant on, (laughs) says Sam. I love that. My question (laughs) relates to duplication I have in my portfolio between different ETFs and companies I hold and how to avoid it. I want broad market exposure and I achieve this through various ETFs and I also buy companies I understand and I think are going to be worth more tomorrow than they are today. Simple, says Sam, but it has led to duplication in my portfolio that may in the future dilute my profits and growth. Plus, it's less time I can spend fishing having to buy so many ETFs. Mm-hmm. Don't know about that. I reckon you probably be still go fishing, Sam, but I, but I think I understand your point. For example, for US exposure, I own Vanguard US Total Market ETF, the beta shares NASDAQ 100 ETF, Global X FANG ETF, along with individual holdings in Berkshire and Apple itself. All of them contain a little and even a lot of Apple. Similarly, outside the US, I have the beta shares A200, which is the ASX 200, the Global X Nifty 50 in India, and the Vanguard All World XUS, there's duplication here also. How can one have broad market exposure and avoid duplication without missing opportunities, real or believed, says Sam. I love that, uh, that self-awareness uh, uh, there. Any general advice, guidance, or suggestions would be greatly appreciated. Much appreciated, Sam. What do you say, mate? Well, I mean, the way to avoid it is just to construct it uh, yourself. Just don't have ETFs and just just build up a portfolio of, of direct positions. Yeah. Um, it kind of defeats. I mean, I'm, I'm being facetious, right? But but mm. when you go with a variety of ETFs, as as has been done with Sam, you you it's going to be unavoidable to get some overlap. I don't think it's that big a problem, you know. Unless the if the Venn diagrams are like massively overlapping, okay, that you kind of wonder why why bother having all these separate products. But, but on the main, like, so take Apple as an example. Let's say I'll make the numbers up. You've got 5% direct holding and then the rest are in um, indices, uh, ETFs that have a small proportion of it. Well, it probably takes your overall exposure from 5% to 7%. I don't know. Yeah. In other words, it doesn't qualitatively change the exposure. Yes, 
it changes it. Does it change it to a, to a degree whereas all of a sudden you have got a huge exposure whereas before you only had a modest one? Yep. I don't think so. I don't, I don't, I, so I wouldn't lose sleep over it unless, and it doesn't sound like this is the case with the, with the ETFs that I mentioned, unless they are you know, very, very similar. Like I'm not going to have the State Street ASX 200 ETF, the Vanguard Australian ASX <laughs> ETF, you know, like they're, they're all just like, they're basically the same ETF and, and any any difference is going to be minor and it's just a waste of time. Yeah. Um, but in the way that you've done it, I, I, I don't think I care. Am I wrong? Am I too? No, I think you're right. I think you're dead right. Um, I'm going to use a, a Petri example. I'm going to try and get this one right. It's one I've been kind of honating uh, on while you've been talking around. Here's the thing. You and I, Ram, go to go to the go to Domino's because I own shares in Domino's, so everyone should go to Domino's. So let me let me put that up front. The uh, mm-hmm. stars have been tough recently, so please go to Domino's. Um, <laughs> and uh, we good in Australia. Want- the results yeah, are great in Australia. Very good. Very good. Yeah. You want a Hawaiian, and I want to meet lovers. And so we go to Domino's, and I want 100 Hawaiian pizza, please. You get that. I saw 100 meat lovers pizza. We get that. Uh, the other option is we go to the Pizza Hut. Uh, for some reason, we say, actually, uh, I'd like a half Domino, a half Hawaiian, half meat lovers, please. And he says, I'd like a half Hawaiian, half meat lovers, please. Mm. Now, you've got two pizzas there, and they're half Hawaiian and half meat lovers. Whatever way you want to mix that up, mm. whether it's one full pizza or two half pizzas, it's still the same thing. And even in your example, Ram, when you said, I could have the Beta Shares ASX 200 or the Vanguard ASX 200, I wouldn't have both because I'd be duplicating it. It's kind of true, but it's also kind of not true, which yeah. you know, which is if yeah. I had $100 in the Vanguard ASX 200 or I had $50 in the, the Vanguard and $50 in the beta shares, I've still got 100 bucks invested in the ASX 200 in different forms. And the yeah, duplication is actually irrelevant, right? I mean, it's more paperwork. I wouldn't do it because there's no point. And yes, one's probably got slightly higher fees than the other, so you could probably try and save a tiny, tiny bit in fees. But uh, so, so I say that only because, uh, to your point, which is 100% right, the idea of like, is Apple slightly bigger as a proportion? Yeah. Uh, does it matter? No. Because you, if you're happy enough with that exposure, then you, in fact, you know, buying Apple, then buying the ETF actually limits your exposure to Apple because you're buying the other stuff as well. So in, the, in my pizza example, you're buying an Apple pizza and you're buying another all sorts pizza, which has one of 25 slices is, is Apple. So now you've got one whole pizza and an extra slice. Is that a big deal? Not really. No. I don't think I don't think it needs to, to worry you particularly. And there's no downside to that either, right? I mean, the downside would be if it was too much. If you had 50% Apple and then 50% other ETFs, doesn't matter what the other ETFs are, you've still got more Apple than you probably should have. If you've got no Apple and the other ETFs, it, it just, it just, it's not going to make a difference because the Apple exposure on those ETFs is not changing the, the story. Yes, there's overlap. Yes, there's duplication. Is that bad? No, because here's, here's the other test, right? Let's say... You own all these ETFs. And let's say Apple is now 7%. As it, it, let's pick a number, right? 7%. Mm-hmm. If you only bought one ETF and Apple happened to be 7%, would you do anything differently? Uh, would, you, would you not buy the ETF because Apple was 7 but you'd buy it if it was 5? I don't, I don't talk to you directly, Sam, and it's certainly not a criticism or, or I'm not calling you out here. I, I'm asking myself or Ram or anyone. The answer would be no, right? I want an S&P 500 ETF. Apple is X percent of that. Okay, I just happen to get X percent of Apple. If it was 5 or 7, I'd still do it. So if I've got this duplication, this air quotes duplication, where it's five rather than seven, do, do I care? No. If it's seven rather than five, do I care? No, because I'm, I'm not making an active choice. I'm just buying it. Um, I actually really, really like this sort of approach, Ram, I've got to say, which is kind of the same question we had before from uh, Damien, which is just, if you like the individual companies, buy them. And then if, you, if they get a little bit extra as part of the ETF, that's great because you'll like them anyway. And mm. you get the other stuff as well. 
You know, ETFs plus some companies, I think it's a really, really great way to do it. And frankly, if I had, I actually have some of these. If I had a Vanguard total ETF, a beta shares NASDAQ 100, a global ETF, and Berkshire and Apple, I'd, I'd be very happy. That, that, that's, a, that's a great portfolio, right? Um, mm. Do I, I have more Berkshire than, than the index? It probably does, you probably deserve it. I have more Apple in the index? I reckon that's probably, a, I don't own Apple other than through Berkshire and through the ETF. You know, is, is that a good business to buy? I, I bet it probably is. You know, there, mm. there are worse things to have than extra exposure in Apple and Berkshire, for example. Um, mm. So, you know, I think those of us who like data and numbers can kind of say, well, hang on, am I overexposed and do the maths and whatever? Am I roughly right? Yeah. Um, you know, I, the only thing I would say, for example, is the, the India ETF you have, um, do you want that much exposure to India specifically rather than the rest of the world? That might be the question you want to ask. If your answer is yes, then cool, go for it. That, you've done it deliberately and that's, that's completely fine. Um, same with the NASDAQ and the global XFANG. Again, I'd probably ask yourself, do I need the FANG ETF and NASDAQ ETF? Probably not, because you know NASDAQ's largely FANG anyway, given the size of these. You mentioned the Magnificent 7 before RAM. It's kind of like that anyway. So do you need both? Probably not. Is it bad having both? No, because again, that duplication is the equivalent. If you've got 50 bucks in the NASDAQ ETF, 50 bucks in the FANG ETF, or 100 bucks in the NASDAQ, it's probably roughly the same. Uh, yeah. You might have a little bit on fees. You might get a little bit more diversification, a little bit less diversification. It's, it's probably... Duplication feels bad. I've got two ETFs with the same companies in it. Because you're splitting your money, you're not really duplicating. You're just splitting your money, and there's no mm. there's no harm in doing that either. Yeah, no, well said, well said. I mean, this is what I love about the mailbag. Like, the, the, they're all thoughtful questions, but it's kind of like all everyone's already done the big things. Yeah. In other words, they've yeah. recognised the importance of saving and investing, yeah. and have done like the message has been received. So we 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 get to the point with the mailbag where we're kind of like. I was going to say fiddling around the edges. That's that's too dismissive. It's it's not that, but they're kind of like these are small small optimizations. Yeah, that's which that's is the way to put it. Yes, the way to put it, right? Because like I, we'll, not we'll not go get doing, together right? and we optimize by oh. picking stocks. So we're not saying don't do it. It's just keep keep the context of you've done most of the hard work already. It, it's like I, I always I always go to the health example. It's like you know you're doing yoga every day. I'm doing Pilates. And we're going to sit here and, and talk about which is the more optimal one to do in certain circumstances. The truth is, is that we're both exercising and, and improving our health. Like that's, do you know what I mean? So it's sort of like, I, I'm saying is I love it. I love it because it's kind of, it's always good food for thought. And it's, it shows that people are sort of like they're, they're thinking along the right lines, but I kind of think it's like, you know what, this is really cool that, that everyone is doing it. If, if the questions were, why would I even bother investing in the share market for? And shouldn't I just take on my third negatively geared property and gear myself to the eyeball? You know, we're not getting the questions that you get in the in the usual yeah, financial yeah, columns, which I, yep, I'm just, yep. I'm, I guess, in a very bad way. I'm trying, I'm trying to compliment um, the the <laughs> listenership because because they're they're great questions, but it's just like it just warms the cockles of my heart that all of the big broad brushstrokes are absolutely correct. And I feel as though if absolutely. anything we say comes across as critical, it's really not because it's like. You're nailing it. You are nailing it, right? Like it's it's just like I've I've got great confidence in the future of 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 our audience, in the sense that no matter what happens, they yeah. you know, there's there's some really really good capital allocation decisions and some great long term um, thinking that's occurring out there. So well done. Pat yourselves on the back. We we can take the credit for it, can't we? It's our podcast. We'll take the credit for when it goes up, not when it goes down. <laughs> <How about? laughs> 
exactly. <laughs> the good, we the do good work news. in the finance industry. The good Scott, news are all on us. The bad news, I'm sorry, listeners, that's all on you. Hey, yeah, uh, yeah. With, read, <laughs> with that out of the way, read the, read the fine print. <laughs> <laughs> disclaimer, disclaimer, disclaimer. Uh, yeah. Yes, maybe, maybe we should do a fun disclaimer at the end of a podcast one day, but not today because I've just thought not about today. it and we're already more than an hour in. Thanks for sticking with us. We hope you've enjoyed listening to us. I would normally say on a Sunday morning, but Rams comment the other week about it possibly being Tuesday afternoon sticking with me. So uh, in this globalized <laughs> world of time shifting and on-demand listening, enjoy whatever you're doing. If you are having yourself a Bloody Mary or a, uh, an old-fashioned right now, enjoy that at whatever time of day or whatever day of the week it is. If you are at work, just just maybe have half it and put the rest away for later. Just, just be case. careful. Yeah. It's probably better. <laughs> Until next week, Bloody Mary or not, full on. I'll toast that. Cheers. The Motley Fool and people appearing in this program may have positions in the companies mentioned. General advice only. Please speak to your financial professional to understand how it may pertain to your situation. Subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash listener. The Motley Fool operates under Financial Services Licence 400691.